You're listening to He Is Here, a sermon series about God's faithfulness. For more information about Elevate Church, please visit us online at www.elevatechurch.ms. Hey, look at the person sitting next to you and ask them what they got you for Christmas. And then tell them, tell them it better be something nice because you were good this year, right? Tell them. Hey, uh, if you don't know me, my name is Robert Andrews, one of the pastors here at Elevate Church, and this is my middle child, my Sadie Kate. And so everybody say, hey, Sadie Kate. That's right. She's a little nervous to be up here. But anyway, uh, I am glad that you are joining us today. Uh, It's the Christmas season, the Christmas season, and we are in a series that we've been in now for four weeks called He Is Here. He Is Here. And didn't the kids do a great job? Even some of the bigger kids, right? They did a good job. They did a good job. And uh, I want to just thank all of the workers who really uh, helped uh, organize that because I don't know if you've tried to organize children before, but it's kind of like trying to herd cats, you know? Uh, It's pretty tough. Uh, But I think they did a great job, a great job, great job. And so I'm just excited that you are here and that you're here for this, this sermon. Now, it is the Christmas series. It's a Christmas season. And at Christmas time, Everybody gets excited about a lot of different things, right? Everybody gets excited about a lot of different things. Like uh, some people, uh, they get excited about decorating the Christmas tree. Anybody, you get excited about decorating the Christmas tree out there? A couple people, I hate decorating the Christmas tree. I really do. Uh, I hate that. I'm sorry. Uh, But uh, some people really get excited. Some people really get excited about that. What what about this? Uh, How many of y'all get excited about watching some of those Christmas movies, some of the Christmas movies? Some people like that. Uh, All right. So what about this? How many of y'all like to go look at Christmas? lights. You get excited about going to look at Christmas lights. We went and looked at Christmas lights the other day. We were looking, ooh, look over here. Ah, look over there. It's so beautiful. Some people really, really, really like that. What about this? How many of y'all like to uh, uh, like play in the snow? You like to build snowmen? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So my wife, she wants it to snow every Christmas, uh, but guess what? Uh, it doesn't really happen. And so she's like, I want it to snow so that we can build a snowman, so that we can build a snowman. But I tell her, hey, look, uh, we don't have to have snow to build a snowman. We can just do something like this. You know what I mean? Uh, even though even though we're in the South, we can participate in the winter festivities. You just got to be uh, a little creative. But there are all sorts of reasons for people to get excited about Christmas. You got Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Frosty uh, the Snowman, Santa Claus, all these things. But the real reason that we get excited about Christmas is told to us in Luke chapter 2. And so we've heard those verses a few times already, but I got Sadie Kate here who's going to help me uh, help us hear some more, some more of that story. So let's, let's give her our attention. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were terrified, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today 
in the town of David, a Savior has been born you to you. He is the Messiah. The Lord This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heavens on and on earth peace to those on whom his favor, favor rests when the angel had left them and gone into heaven. The shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. It's so good. It's so good. She did so good. Now, those verses right there, again, we've heard them a few times uh, this morning. And you actually saw a clip just a second ago of, of those verses uh, that were in one of the most epic Christmas specials that has ever been presented, a, a Charlie Brown Christmas. How many of y'all have ever seen uh, that Christmas special at full length? Yeah, yeah, a lot of people. If you are raising your hand, you are among millions and millions of Americans who have actually seen that movie, and actually just people all over the world. That movie is in its 53rd year, its 53rd year, and uh, its very first year that it was ever shown, half of America, over half of America actually watched that special. And what's so interesting about that special is that it was expected to fail. CBS didn't like it. Uh, Coca-Cola, who was actually sponsoring uh, the special, they didn't like it, and they didn't like it for several reasons. Uh, see, uh, Charles Schultz, he actually wrote that, and he actually wrote it in less than an hour. He wrote it in less than an hour, and if you knew Charles, he was, uh, everybody says he was a pretty shy man, but when he pitched this idea to the CBS executives and to the Coca-Cola executives, he was more confident than he had ever been. People who watched the meeting said he was more confident than he had ever been. And so what he basically says is, I have three demands for this Christmas special. If you can't agree to these three demands, we're not going to do it. And so they said, okay, what are the three demands? And the first demand was this. Number one, he said, I want children actors. He said, I don't want adults reading the parts. He said, I want actual children because there's something innocent about a child's Voice. There's something innocent about a child telling this story. That's number one. The second thing that he said, the, the, the thing that had to be done, was he said there can be no laugh track. He said, I don't want to tell the viewers when to laugh. I want them to laugh whenever they feel like something is funny. And if they don't think it's funny, they don't have to laugh. So no laugh track. Then he said the third thing that you have to put in there is you have to put the Christmas story in there as told by Luke chapter 2. If you're not going to do those three things, we're not going to do this special. And so the CBS executives and the Coca-Cola executives, they were very hesitant, but Charles was very firm, and he held to his demands. And so they finally said, okay, put the Bible in the special. And so there's this epic scene which we saw where Charlie Brown asked, what is the real meaning of Christmas? Doesn't anybody know the real meaning of Christmas? And Linus says, I know. And he reads 
the verses from Luke chapter 2, just like Sadie Kate read today. And now, year after year, whatever they put on TV that goes up against this special loses in the ratings. After, 55, after 53 years, this, this series, this special, has not, has not decreased in its popularity. And so what is it that's so meaningful and so special about this Christmas special? Well, if you watch the scene very closely where Lioness reads from Luke chapter 2, he's holding his security blanket. Well, nowhere else in the history of the Peanuts comic strip will you find Lioness actually dropping his security blanket other than when he's reading this passage from Luke chapter 2, when he is telling the Christmas story. He has, he has let go of his security blanket. And so, and so what I think is so special about this special, what's so special about this scene, what's so special about this passage in the Bible is that it really does remind us that Jesus, that God is here always. He's always here. Last week we said that he is here in the storms of life. When the storms continue to rage in our life, we need to look around and realize that God is here. The week before we talked about God being here in the wilderness. When we're going through dry seasons in our life that seem to go on and on and on forever, we need to understand again that God has not left us. He has not forsaken us. He is here. The very first week, we talked about the fact that God is also here with us in the valley. When we are in the battle, when we are struggling, He is still here. And today, I want to talk to you about a message titled, He is here always. See, in this passage of Scripture, there's this incredible invitation that is extended to every person. It's this unbelievable invitation of, of God's grace. It's an exclusion story. I mean, I'm sorry, it's an inclusion story that God has for every person who is alive today, every person who has ever lived today, and every person who will ever live. It's this unbelievable example of God's grace. And the invitation is so powerful, just like all invitations are powerful. How many of you have ever been talking to a friend and that friend begins to tell you about a party that they went to along with all of your other friends, but you find out that you weren't invited to that party? Doesn't that kind of hurt sometimes? Some of y'all are like, no, I didn't have to be liars. It's happened to all of us, right? It's happened to all of us and, and, it, and, it, and it hurts. It really, it really does. We don't just get invited to parties. We get invited or not invited to participate in work groups at school. We get invited or not invited to participate in team events at work. We get invited or not invited to all sorts of different events. And sometimes, again, when we're not invited, it hurts. See, I used to play Baseball, when I was coming up, anybody else you played baseball when you were, were coming up? Man, I, I played baseball when I was younger, and I loved to play baseball. The problem was I wasn't really good at baseball. And so I remember my coach was always, like, trying to find a place to put me on the field. He put me over here. That didn't work out. So he put me over there. It didn't work out. Put me over here. And so I remember one day, coach was like, hey, I want you to go play left field, you know. And so I, I ran out to left field. I'm all excited. I got my glove, got my cap on. I'm excited. And he's like, no, 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 further left. And so I move over a little further left, further left. I move over a little further left, further left. And pretty soon I was playing left out. You know what I'm saying? I, I just didn't get to play. 
And that's funny, man. Some of you are like, no, it's not. That's my entire life story left out. But the point is how we are invited, where we are invited, and whether or not we are invited, it really resonates with the human soul. And so when Lioness says, unto us a Savior is born, unto us a child is given, that invitation to us is an invitation for everyone. It's an invitation that draws even the most unspiritual person, even the person who doesn't think about God much. They have to consider this invitation and they have to respond in some sort of way. And so what I want to show you for the rest of the time that we have together this morning is I want to show you four quick invitations that I see in this passage in Luke chapter 2. If you're keeping notes and you want to write them down, the first invitation that I want you to see is God invites us to see hope. God invites us in this passage to see hope. See, God wants to put hope in your life, and and not just once. God doesn't want to just put hope in your life once. He doesn't want to put hope in your life twice. He wants to put hope in your life always. Not just every now and then, always. Look at what verses 11 through 12 say in this passage. It says, Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So the angels, first of all, they told shepherds that all of this was going down where? In the town of David, in the town of Bethlehem. Now the town of David, Bethlehem, it was a very small city, a very humble city. This wasn't Jerusalem. This wasn't the largest city in the world. Again, God comes to the smaller city, what, what seems to be insignificant. He comes to that, and not only does he come to a smaller place, but he comes as a smaller person, as a smaller person. He comes as a baby. Now, babies are given, to, given birth to much differently today than we gave birth to them or than people gave birth to them when this was actually Happen. And so when the Bible says that there was no room for them in the inn, it's referring to the human quarters, okay? So it really wasn't all that unusual for a child to be born in a manger. I need you to understand that. But here's what's happening. What's going on is there's this census in this town, in the town of Bethlehem. And Bethlehem was a very small city. It was one of those cities that people who were born there couldn't wait to get out of. They were like, man, when I get old enough to get married, when I get old enough to get a job, when I get old enough, man, I'm getting away from this town. Anybody ever heard somebody say something like that about whatever town they're in? But people were saying that about Bethlehem. And so everybody had moved away. But during a census, you had to go back to where you were born. And so, again, this is before they had planes, before they had trains, before they had automobiles and Uber. And so everybody came to town riding on horseback, camelback, or donkeyback. Okay, that's how they get there. And so when they get there, they need a place to secure all of these animals. Because again, it's overwhelmed. The city is overwhelmed by people. People are everywhere. And so all these animals are secured in something probably like a cave. But there was no room for them in the, in the living quarters, the people quarters. There was only room for them in the animal quarters. And so that's where Jesus is born. How many of you have got a child? Would you have liked to have given birth to that child in the animal 
quarters, in the animal quarters. No, nobody, nobody would want to do that. I mean, today, we teach you how to breathe, right? We give you injections that will take away the pain. You've got nurses and doctors that will bring you cups of ice to try to make you as comfortable as possible. We, we, we don't, we don't want to be, we don't want to have children the way that we, we, they had children back in the day. But there is one thing about the birth of a child that has stayed consistent throughout all the generations, and that is this. Babies are fragile. Babies are fragile. How many of you got more than one child? I got three kids, and I remember uh, when we were having Sadie Kate, I remember we were going to go and get a sonogram, and those things have changed tremendously. But I remember uh, Brina Grace was maybe five, six years old, didn't really understand anatomy very well, and so I remember we had told her, hey, look, we're going to go, we're going to go see the baby. There's a baby in mama's belly. And I remember Brianna's like, what? You know, she's kind of confused about that. So you want to go with us to see the baby? And so she's like, yeah, I want to go with you to see the baby. And so she goes with us to see the baby. And so we get in there, they take that wand and they put that jelly all over that wand. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And then they put that, that wand on Amanda's belly. And as soon as they do that right there on the screen is a baby is a baby. I mean, there's a head, there are arms, there are legs, there, there are toes, and there's a heartbeat. And I remember looking over at Brianna, and she's terrified. She's, she's, get her out of there! She's in trouble! She's scared. She doesn't know what is going on. She can't breathe in there! I mean, she didn't understand that, but she did understand something about babies that we need to understand about this story, and that is that babies are fragile. They're fragile. They're fragile. So think about that. That means that God came as a fragile baby to a fragile place, a world that is messed up. Why would he do that? Because he loves you more than you can ever imagine. Because he loves you more than you could possibly know. He came to remind you to remind me, to remind all of us that he is here. See, God didn't want to just talk about hope. We get to experience hope because we think, wow, God loves me so much that he actually came as a fragile baby into this fragile world. He loves me that much. There's this invitation, again, to see hope. The second invitation that exists in this passage that I want you to to see is there's this invitation to accept forgiveness. There's this invitation to accept forgiveness. Look at verse 11 again. The Bible says, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. See, the shepherds who are hearing these angels say these things, they would have understood what the word Messiah meant. And that word Messiah, it literally means anointed one. That's what it means. Now, in the Old Testament, there were only three types of anointed ones, three types of anointed people. You had priests who were anointed, you had prophets who were anointed, and you had kings that were anointed. So, so what were priests? What were priests? Priests were actually representatives of the people to God. They would go to God and they would basically say, hey God, your people messed up again. 
Don't be mad at them. I know they're dumb. Don't be mad at them. Don't be, they represented, again, the people to God. The prophets, what they were, is they were messengers. They would basically go to the people and say, hey, here is God's plan. This is God's message. Here, we need to do this. Then you had kings, and what kings were is that they were providers, and they were protectors. So why is Jesus called the anointed one? See, they used to pour oil on prophets, priests, and kings, and that was symbolic of the presence of God. Well, Jesus is the anointed one. He is the Messiah, the Christ. Christ is the same word for Messiah. It's just Hebrew and Greek, the same word. It means the same thing. Christ is the Messiah, the anointed one. Why? Because he is all three of those things together. He is the prophet who gives this message and says, hey, anyone who wants to receive the forgiveness of God can receive the forgiveness of God. It's, it's inclusive. It's for everyone. He communicates that message. He's the prophet. He's the priest because he represents us before God. He says, God, I died in their place. God, I, I died to satisfy your wrath. You need to forgive them. And he's the king because he protected and provided for us when he died on the cross. Christ is all three of those things. And he wants us to understand again this forgiveness, this invitation to be forgiven. It's for each and every one of us. So there's this invitation to see hope, this invitation to accept forgiveness. The third invitation that I want you to see in this passage is there's this invitation to experience peace on earth. An invitation to experience peace on earth. What do the angels say in verse 14? Look at it. It says, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor, fest, uh, his favor rests. Now, this is often misunderstood because it says, you know, peace on earth, on earth peace. Does this mean that there will be no more wars, no more battles? That's not, that's not what this means. But I heard about this kid who went to Yale, and at Yale he was a physics student, and he was in one of those classes, it was one of those pivotal classes, you know what I mean, it's one of those classes that if you don't pass, you're not able to continue to pursue this degree that you want, you're not able to continue in the program, and so he had this particular professor that was hard, he was really good at weeding out those students that were not going to do well, how many of y'all ever had a, a student, I mean a teacher, a professor that was really like that, really hard, you know what I'm saying, just me, I think all mine were like that, I might have just me because I was not a good student, but anyway, I mean, I, I, they, he was like that, and so he said, look, he said, look, your final is 50% of your grade, if you don't pass this final, there's no way that you can continue in this program, if you don't pass this final, it's over for you, but he says, I will, I will allow you one accommodation, I will allow every student in here one accommodation, and he took out a, an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper, and he said, you can write Whatever you want, you can put whatever you want, put whatever you want on this piece of paper and whatever you've got on this piece of paper, you can use dear in the final. And so the day came for the final and a lot of these kids had come in, all these students had come in with all this micro writing on there, just everything that they could possibly cram on that piece of paper, front and back, man, it was there. Everybody did that except for one student, one student, one student walked in and he didn't have anything on his paper. And so when it came time for him to sit down, he actually didn't even put his piece of paper on his desk. He put his piece of paper on the floor. And so the professor walked up to him. He's like, what, what in the world 
are you doing? Do you not understand the consequences of this? If you don't pass this final, you can't continue. And so the student just said, just wait for it. And so about a minute before it was time to take the test, the ACE student from the year before walked into the classroom and he walked over to the student's desk and he stood right on top of that eight and a half by 11 piece of paper. And the student said, you said whatever I could put on that piece of paper I can use during the test. Some of the students in the room are going, I wonder, can I use that? Right? But, but here's, here's the deal. Are you still taking your own test? You can't have peace until you let the author of peace take the test for you. Look at that verse again. Look at verse 14. It says, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. In other words, this this is not the kind of peace that you experience once you get your life all under control. You will never get your life all under control. How many of y'all know that? If, if We practice a loss of self-control every day. If you don't believe me, go to Walmart today. You, this, this amount of uncontrol will just rise up in your life. You will think, why do they have 100 registers and only two of them open? Why don't they open up more of these so we can get out of here? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Man. But we can make the choice to allow this incredible God who has invited himself into our life to take the test for us. It's God's favor that brings us peace. Just knowing that he is with us always gives us peace. It should give us peace. It blows my mind to think that that's how God responded to our need. That God, again, would come to this messed up world as a fragile baby. This past week, I stumbled across an incredible story about a little girl who had leukemia. Her name was Delaney Brown. We got a picture of her right here. This is Delaney Brown. She had leukemia in 2013, and in 2013, it was right around Christmas time, and so her parents asked Delaney what she wanted for Christmas because they realized, hey, this is probably going to be her last Christmas with us, and so they had all these elaborate plans and all these things that they wanted to do for her, but she said, I don't want any of that. She said, what I really would like for you to do is to roll my bed closer to the front door. And I'd really like for you to go on Facebook and just say, hey, if anybody wants to come by and sing some Christmas carols, I would just love to sit in my bed and listen to some Christmas carols. And so that's what the parents did. They went to Facebook, and they just said, hey, our little girl would would love to hear some Christmas carols. And so a small Facebook post A small Facebook post. This is what happened as a result of that small Facebook post. Over 15,000 people showed up and sang Christmas carols around this little girl's front door. The parents were blown away by this response. Delaney wasn't expecting this response to this need. This need, it was an overwhelming response, an, an unexplainable response. Well, listen, that's exactly the kind of response that God gives us when it comes to our true need. He came here. He showed up. He is here. And there's something inside each and every one of us that thinks that there is no way that God is that good. There's there's no way that God is that loving. There's no way that God is that grace 
field. There's no way in the world that he would come as a baby and that he would come and die for me. There's no possible way that he would do that. But listen to me. Christmas is the story of God's overwhelming response to your need and my need. He is here. He showed up for you and he showed up for me. That's what he did for us. It's amazing. There's this incredible invitation to experience peace on earth. So we have this invitation to see hope, to accept forgiveness, to experience peace on earth. And there's one more invitation, I believe, in this passage. And that is, God invites us to know Him. He invites us to know Him. So many people, maybe even some of the people in this room, you think, God doesn't want to know me. God doesn't want to know me. He wants to know that person over there that's more spiritual. Or that person over there that's more successful, that person that's more beautiful or more handsome, more well-spoken, he doesn't want to know me. We have a hard time, again, believing that he would pick us. But the fact of Christmas, the message of Christmas, again, is that God came into our world as tangible proof that he picks us, that he picks us. He showed up to shepherds, and their natural response was to believe. Their natural response was, they said, hey, let's go and let's see this thing that the Lord has told us about. Look at verse 15 again. It says, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Listen to me. If he loved shepherd boys... The lowest of low. You need to understand he loves you and he loves me. He came to the shepherds deliberately and they responded diligently. They let faith rise up in them. They believed again that God had picked them. Do you believe that? God has picked you. See, I'm wrapping up. There's a fellow by the name of David Busby. He was a youth pastor. He was a national speaker in the 80s and 90s, and he died in 1997. He had bad heart disease. He had diabetes. He had cystic fibrosis his whole life. And on top of that, when he was a child, he called polio. But there was something about his frail and fragile physical condition that focused him and caused him every time he spoke to speak on the goodness of God. He was filled with joy and determination. He had just so much knowledge of God's Word. He had actually worked with Billy Graham before. And he loved to tell the story of the turning point in his life. People all the time said, Hey, 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 David, what was the turning point in your life? And he would tell a story about his brother. See, his brother was older than him, and his brother was very athletic. He was strong. He didn't have the physical limitations that David had. And he says that one day his brother came to him and said, Hey, David, it's Saturday. Man, there's a group of us, a group of my friends. We're all going to meet down at the park. We're going to play touch football. I, I want you to come. But David looked at him and said, Look, you're older than I am. You're stronger than I am. 
your friends are so much more athletic than me. I'm just so sickly. And his brother said, David, just come. Nobody is going to care. Just come. You can do it. You can play. It's going to be fun. And so David talked, allowed his brother to talk himself into going. And when he, get, when he got there, he was very reluctant. And when he got there again, he, he really regretted his decision. Because every guy out there was taller than him, bigger than him, stronger than him, much more athletic than him. And they lined up the way guys line up when they're about to have sporting teams. And they were going to pick teams. And so two captains walked up, the most athletic guy in the group, and then David's brother. And so David thought to himself, here we go, the rejection, the humiliation. Nobody's going to want me on their team. I'm going to be picked last out of all these guys. And sure enough, the, the most athletic guy, what he did was he picked the next biggest guy to be on his team. Then it was David's brother's turn to pick. And David said, my own family, they're not going to pick me. My brother's not going to pick me. And so David's got his head down. He doesn't want to look around. But all of a sudden, he hears his brother Say, I choose my brother David. You're on my team. And David couldn't believe it. He, he was hesitant. And his brother again said, come on, David, you're on my team. And he still couldn't believe it. But he starts walking towards his brother. And then he can't help but jog towards his brother. And when he gets to his brother, he, do, he doesn't care who's watching. He throws his arms around his brother, and he buries his head in his chest, and he begins to cry uncontrollably. And David's brother just says, don't worry, brother. I will always pick you first. Listen to me. Somebody here, you need to hear this. You need to let faith arise in your heart. God came to this earth as a baby. He, he washed our feet. He, he taught our souls and he died on the cross. Why? So he could look directly at you and say, I pick you. I choose you. That's the message of Christmas. That he loves you more you'll ever know he's nearer to you than you will ever know he is here always the Christmas story is a wondrous story anyone can see it's a wondrous story to me he's here so with every head bowed and every eye closed I don't know where you're at in your spiritual walk but I know today that there's somebody here and you think you came because somebody invited you but really God brought you here so that you could hear I pick you I love you I died for you he's here and if that's you today and you know that you need to give him your heart and your life, again, it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done. There's this invitation to be forgiven. All you've got to do is accept it. And so if you know today that you need to be forgiven, 
you need to be saved. A Savior has been born. If you know you need to be saved, I'm going to ask that right where you are, you pray this prayer. Father, forgive me for my sins. Thank you for being willing to come and die for me. I accept you. I confess you as Lord. I confess you as Savior. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would so fill my heart that everyone I meet from this day forward knows that I'm a new person. Thank you for saving me. Again, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Nobody's looking around, but if you prayed to receive Christ today, you prayed to be saved, it's something to celebrate. And so if you prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask that right where you are. All you do, I'm just asking you to lift your hand so that I can know. But you prayed to be saved. Amen. Amen. You prayed to be saved today. God is so good. He's so gracious. Father, we thank you today for changing hearts. Father, we, change, we, we thank you today for changing lives. Father, we thank you today for coming to this earth, for picking us. Father, I pray. I pray that each and every day we would have hope, understanding again that you are with us always. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.